Good morning. Hope you had a happy Halloween. Did you dress up? Uh, yes, uh, they um, dressed me up in a T-shirt, a Papa Pig T-shirt, because Adriana went as Peppa, and Mommy went as Mommy Pig. So they got me this supersized T-shirt, one, fi- one size fits nobody, and um, slapped a hat on my head, and that was it. And guess what? All I did was drive the car. So, Did y'all go trick-or-treating? Oh, yeah. It was a beautiful night last night, man. That half moon and the weather was in the mid-60s. Perfect, dude. Did she get a good haul of Halloween candy? She did. She absolutely did. We probably did three streets and, you know, down over here in Tanglewood. So, you know, it was, um, they were barricaded off, which is the way we prefer to do it. Because, you know, we were, matter of fact, we were in the neighborhood there at one person's house. And about six o'clock and here came this van with some ladders on top of it so you know somebody probably trying to get home from a work day and speed limit was 20 and they were doing about 30 through there and it's just it's like eh, it's just how dangerous it can be you know what i mean so tanglewood though that's a good neighborhood for trick-or-treating though generally people are drive so on the streets the houses are close enough together where you can perfect yeah, yeah. and they barricade off the ends of the street so the people really aren't driving down and they have the you know, they're dragging the trailers where they make into hay rides and kids on the back of it. So it's really nice because, again, you know, 30 minutes, you've covered two neighborhood blocks and you're done. Beautiful. Well, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Health aside, what would be your Halloween candy of choice? If, if you say after Adriana went to bed, got a sweet tooth, went in her candy bag, what would be the one you'd pick out? Well, <clears throat> first of all, if she went to Trader Joe's and got that dark chocolate peanut butter cup that'd be it two years ago before i knew about that reese's for sure yes gotta have my peanut butter and chocolate other than that you can pretty much keep everything else and she's sort of the same way it's funny because i mean she she'd open up something to put it in her mouth and i didn't like that throw it away you know, so it away. reese's okay my next question about reese's though do you prefer traditional reese's or do you like the ones that are shaped like a christmas tree because they have more peanut butter yeah. Well, the more peanut butter, probably the better. But, you know, I agree. I go traditional on that one. Um, I don't know if I've tried these, you know, the holiday, because uh, I think they have the Christmas egg. I they have mean, an the egg, the Easter egg, egg. The Easter egg, the Easter egg one. So I have to say that, you know, since I found those Trader Joe's and that, that box of, I don't know, there's a bunch of them in there for seven bucks, um, lasts me easily a month. You know, I consume about two of those in the evening. Man, that's perfect. So. so you got some dark chocolate, some organic peanut butter there. So it's a ni- it. yeah. nice alternative to a Reese's. Yeah. So me, I'm going Kit Kat all day long. A huge fan of Kit Kats. Always have been. That's my go-to that fun size candy. It, right. That's the one that snaps. It's got the... Uh, Give me a break. The wafer in there. Is that what that is? Yeah. Coated? Yeah. yeah. Kit Kat. Give me a Kit Kat. Kit Kat break. Right? Yeah. Big fan. And you know that actually... Uh, so after I've had a, you know... Say I ate some Halloween candy, a lot of Halloween candy. Say I had a whole bag full. Good way to detox from that. That's what I'm going to talk about today. All right. Yeah, tell us how we get rid of that. Say that you've been eating off plan for a while. Maybe you've been eating a lot of rich foods like I have throughout the whole um, birth and baby rearing process. Oh, Um, that's your excuse. That's my Ah. excuse. Well, no, here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get my dad bod going, and I'm well on my way. So what I did. Head of schedule, huh? Here's what I did. Okay. You ever heard of the saltwater flush? Uh, yes. Maybe not this particular one you're getting ready to roll mm-hmm. into. But I'll uh, tell you about it. Yeah. 
I'll tell you all about it. So here's what you do. The saltwater flush is a way to, okay, just go ahead and let you know, if you're listening to this episode, there's going to be a lot of uh, potty talk. So if you have a weak stomach, might want to tune out of this one, but uh, I'm not going to pull any punches on this. So the saltwater flush is, in my opinion, the best way to completely empty out your colon. And it's a way to rid your body of waste products that have built up over time because yes, your liver is great at detoxing, but we throw so much inorganic material at it that maybe it wasn't designed to be able to detox that it's a good idea to give it a little boost. And one way that I do that is with the saltwater flush. So I get one liter of uh, spring water and I put one full tablespoon of pink Himalayan or Celtic sea salt, put it in there, make sure it's fully dissolved. I add the juice of one lemon just to take some of the bite off of the salt. And I chug that within five minutes. Now what that does is it reroutes that water from going through the urinary system because that's more salt than your kidneys are designed to be able to filter at one time. So it reroutes that water through the colon and it takes everything with it. So what you do is you chug that mixture, lay on your left side for 30 minutes or so, massage your abdomen, loosen up some waste products that have built up in the lining of the intestines over time. Then switch sides, lay on your right side for a little bit longer. And by this time, you'll be feeling the urge to go to the bathroom. Try to resist that. Hold it for a little bit of time. Let all that water build up in the intestines. And then once you get where it's just where you know it's really time, go to the bathroom, let the magic happen. And everything will come out. Things will come out that you don't even think you ate. Trust me on this. If you want to reset, this is the best way to do it. And uh, it, it doesn't cost any money. You know how much is a tablespoon of salt? A penny. And it's a way that you can get back on track. And once you've flushed everything out, you're going to be more motivated to just put good things in. So when I know that I've been off plan and not eating the, t- the way that I normally do, this is how I get back on track, the saltwater flush. And you do the right thing, take care of the system, and give it something they might actually enjoy. One question on that one, Doc. Uh, the water, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess you recommend uh, room temperature. I'm glad you asked. Actually, warm. I like warm water. Yeah. Yep. That way, um, because it goes through your system so fast, there's really not enough time to get it up to body temp. So I like to do warm water with that. And like I said, the lemon juice is just a way to to make it more palatable because this does not taste good. You're going to want to chug it fast. So it's best to just hold your nose, chug it down as fast as you can and and let it do its thing. I w- okay. And, and as far as frequency, I wouldn't do this more than about once a month. Great. That would probably prevent a lot of people from doing those enemas that I'm sure they just absolutely love. Yeah, coffee, yeah. coffee I mean, enemas. Those. Where, well, just yeah, an enema period, right? That's so much easier way to go about it. The famous actor, the Western guy, John Wayne, they say it's a legend. You know, They say that he died with over 50 pounds of waste built up in his intestines that had yeah. just been marinating there for for years and people in generally carry around carry around a few pounds of fecal matter that's just caked on to the lining of their intestines the salt water flush is a way to help to sweep that out along with eating plenty of fiber in your diet plenty of vegetables plenty of 
prebiotic fiber like we talked about on the on a previous episode you know uh, another point about that too, assimilation, which we're going to do a podcast on that. We're going to do digestion, assimilation, and elimination. We may have touched on that once before, but that's a good point there. I mean, if you've got this impacted colon like John Wayne did, even when he is taking in something that may be beneficial for him, how much is he actually assimilating through the intestines if he's got that much junk covering it? How can he even know what it feels like to feel great? Um, if he's not getting the benefits of the nutrients by which he's eating, which most of us aren't. People don't realize this. You know, let's just say your colon is um, large as a quarter, and by the time you are in your 30s, you probably got the diameter of maybe a penny for everything to get through, right? And then, of course, to assimilate anything healthy through the intestinal lining, you've got to get through all that built-up crud on the pipes, if you will. And... uh, you asked about the water that I use, and like I said, it's always going to be spring water. Sure. I always choose spring water to avoid chemicals that they add to water, and one of those chemicals that I want to avoid is fluoride, and that's something we were talking about earlier. Tell us a little bit about fluoride and why you choose to avoid it. And that's an hour podcast in itself. But let's just, I was, I was showing you this the other day. There's a book that came out. It's called Malignant Medical Myths. This, this is great. One reason why I like this book, and it's got a lot of cutting-edge issues on it is this was all done by PhDs, all right? So the term, there was no dog in the hunt for this. So this, they didn't have bias. They weren't being funded by, for example, the manufacturers of fluoride, um, any toothpaste company or, or, or whatnot. And then the same thing, we'll talk about the cholesterol in there too. There's no statin drug company that was supplying this. And so it's some pretty awesome stuff. But getting to the fluoride, um, you know, they were talking about uh, the highest consumption of fluoride, for example, in various countries. And the uh, United States, we, we consume about, uh, supplies about 60% of the water with fluoride. And the interesting thing is Ireland is 66%. Well, a little ditty about Ireland, the highest amount of dental caries is in that small country. Cavities. So, yeah. That's right. So you have the highest fluoride intake in the country with the worst cavities. Hmm. And here again, we're right behind them at 60 and Canada's at 55%. And then you take some of these other countries like um, uh, New Zealand, Sweden, and even the UK is, UK's 10%, and Denmark, and these people have some of the best uh, dental caries. So just something to think about. Here's another interesting thing too. This was in 1975. This is in the book. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration explicitly designated fluoride as not, repeat, not generally recognized as safe. So they don't recommend that you take in fluoride. Correcto. And permitted no fluoride whatsoever to be added to food or over-the-counter dietary supplements. Nevertheless, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, which is now Health and Human Services, exempted fluoridated water from this ban. And I guess toothpaste, too, for that matter, right? Okay. Including fluorinated water that was used in processed foods. So they're recommending that you don't put fluoride in any water or food, but Health and Human Services health says, you know what, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, we, everybody, everybody, everything else is exempt except for, you know, the general public's 
drinking water. And like I said, once again, you're looking at the toothpaste as well. Um, well, you know, they do that under the guise of it being prevention for cavities. Any dentist will claim that fluoride is crucial for preventing cavities, yet we have an enormous amount of cavities here. And most people are unaware of this. Show too. Yeah, we do. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. When you look at the percentage of us, and of course, Ireland, people with the highest. And the other thing with this is that, you know, it wasn't actually the American Dental Association who came up with the fluoride idea. That was sold to them by fertilizer manufacturers. Because fluoride is, is waste product from fertilizer, and they wanted, they wanted someone to buy that from them, basically, right? That's correct. And, you know, they don't allow it to be put in the landfill. All right, so you can't dump fluoride into a landfill, but guess where you can dump it? Our water. There you go. Yeah. Uh, again, calcium is a strong antagonist of fluoride. So it reduces the concentration in the plasma and inhibits the absorp- absorption from the intestine of fluoride. Now, if it's an antagonist, calcium, what are teeth made so out of? So it prevents the absorption of calcium. Mm-hmm. Well, c- calcium actually is an antagonist of fluoride, and it reduces the concentration of the fluoride in the plasma. So that's what it's designed to do, offset the toxicity of that. So why are we brushing our teeth, bones with it, mm, calcium, right? Calcium, teeth, right? So... And listen, they also hear, too, that, you know, when they talk about breaking down the fluoride, I mean, and out, of the, out of the stone, and most of these phosphates, by the way, are taken out of Florida. It, uh, it says here, had the fluoride ion been left in the rock, the fertilizer would have been too toxic to use. Hmm. Mm. But not too toxic for general So, so it's too toxic for plants to grow, yes. basically. Yes. Remember, I think I mentioned this, too, that fluoride, I think, is like, a, I want to say it's somewhere on like a grade five toxicity and lead's a grade four. Yeah. So we know how bad lead is, right? Come on, people. Now we're, okay, you know, <laughs> no lead in the paint. We know that it causes brain-related toxicity damage. But here we are with the fluoride. Just, you know. Here's what I find most interesting about fluoride is that they administer fluoride to patients who have an overactive thyroid. So when your thyroid is hyperactive or when your metabolism is too fast, basically, they will give you fluoride to slow down your metabolism. (laughs) Now, what happens when you're taking in fluoride when your metabolism is not overactive or when it's just normal? It's still going to slow down your metabolism. So when you have an entire population that is taking in fluoride through their drinking water, What's going to happen to that population as a whole? Well, you would expect obesity to be a, a pandemic, and what's happening? Well, it is. It and, is. You know, good point here. We were talking last. I think we were talking on the last podcast about the fact of the of the thyroid related issues, and we were talking about the armor thyroid, and we were talking about how important iodine is. That was last week. Well, here we go. Remember, that's a halogen. Fluoride's a halogen. So if I want to slow the thyroid down function and make it hypo, yeah, throw a bunch of fluoride at it because it's right the opposite of what it really wants, which is the iodine. Another reason why I was saying earlier about how the 17-year-olds are now starting to show up with hypothyroid-related issues because they're dumping all this fluorine and bromine and chlorine in them in the water. So good point. And now it makes sense why it would slow that down, right? You want to slow that thing down and almost put, almost make it stop, hypo. There you go. So you said fluoride is a neurotoxin, right? When I, I grew up on well water, so I didn't get any fluoride growing up. So my mom took me to the dentist, and that dentist convinced her that I needed to be taking fluoride tablets, megadose of fluoride. So they gave me a few fluoride tablets, megadose. And within 
months of me taking that, my vision went from being great to being a negative 5.5 in both eyes. So it, it could be a coincidence, but what else would have caused that? My vision was fine. And now, and I've had to wear contacts ever since. I believe that had something to do with it. And, I, and since I've been an adult and since I've been aware of what fluoride really is, I haven't drank it at all. That's why we go to the spring is to yeah. avoid, mainly to avoid fluoride. And fluoride also has a few other things that it does. And one of those things, now this one would be considered a little bit more out there, but the uh, a large percentage of the holistic medical community will say that fluoride will calcify your pineal gland. You know, the gland in your brain that uh, releases melatonin. They say that the pineal gland will become calcified because of, of the intake of fluoride. So that's just a little aside there. Okay. And what does the pineal gland regulate? Melatonin. Hormone, melatonin as well. Sleep. Sleep, exactly. Sleep pattern. Uh, let's end the book here, uh, page 264. A study of 29,000 elementary school children in Tucson, Arizona, showed much more tooth decay when the, flow, when the fluoride level in the drinking water was highest. Well, that's the opposite of what a dentist will tell you. That's the opposite of what dentists are taught. They're absolutely not trying to mislead you. They're, they're teaching you what they've been taught. But I believe that what they've been taught is, is incorrect. It is on page 64. Let's go down a little farther. The only, only practical and effective public measure for the prevention and control of dental caries is the limitation of fluoride content in the drinking water. Boom. So the opposite of what we do. Right. Exactly. Remember, these are these are PhDs. These guys have no dog in the hunt. That's why I like this book. I'm um, sure that the avoidance of sugar would make would have a big impact as well. But yeah, well, yeah. No adequate evidence. Flor okay, hold on. Fluoride supplements and topical application. Page 266. No adequate evidence for the effectiveness of fluoride supplements as pills or drops or topical applications of fluoride by means of toothpaste or dental caries has ever been presented. Hmm. So no studies have ever been done. This is just hypothetical. So what we're learning here is that the addition of fluoride to water, fluoridated toothpaste, and fluoride tablets through supplementation, none of that is evidence-based. Correct. None of that's evidence-based, and, and nothing that I've read shows this pro-health in any way. And a matter of fact, contradictory, I mean, to what basically is out there. So what yeah. that's called is consensus medicine. Consensus medicine is when it's not based on evidence. It's based on, well, it's just what we've always done. And that's, it seems to be what fluoridation is. Interesting. Well, the same way as everything that we do out here is ran today anyway. You get it to the media, the media shoots it out there, and uh, nobody verifies anything. And it's fact jack because I saw it on the Internet. Somebody showed it to me on the TV. Like I said, you don't see broccoli commercials on television, do you? No, because right. you don't need to. you got to question this stuff. You know, you can't just take it at face value. You can't take Look, I don't want what people here on this podcast to be no, to be taken no, no, at face uh, value. You look into this stuff. You can find the stuff on your own. And I don't want what uh, patients are told by anyone, any practitioner, doctor or otherwise, to be taken without doing their own research. No, no. Because at the end of the day, you are responsible for your own health, not your doctor, 
you have to take personal responsibility for your health. And you can do that by learning, researching, empowering with, with YouTube, with the internet, with Google. You can mm-hmm. learn anything you want. So, with um, knowledge comes power, right? And um, it's your body it needs to be your decision. Yeah. That's the goal. Well, Doc, I got to get out of here. I've got an appointment here in about thirty minutes, and I got to get to Homewood. So let's wrap this one up. But uh, good podcast. Excellent, brother. Appreciate it. Go see the baby girl. And, and, and hey, uh, you're uh, you'll you're heading out uh, here towards the end of the week. You're going to Dallas for a for a seminar, right? That's correct. Start putting down the foundation on the book. So, well, we look forward to hearing updates on the book you're writing, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to read it. It's going to be a good one. So, well, I'm looking forward to it too to get this thing rolling. In the meantime, we'll just give bits and pieces out through podcasts. Sound good? Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you soon. Have a great week, everyone.